This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. You're listening to audio from one of our third Thursday webinars on Parkinson's research. In these webinars, expert panelists and people with Parkinson's discuss aspects of the disease and the foundation's work to speed medical breakthroughs. Learn more about the third Thursday webinars at michaeljfox.org slash webinars. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'm Dr. Karen Jaffe, and I'll be your moderator today. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2007, and I'm a retired OBGYN. I also sit on the Matthew J. Fox Foundation's Patient Council. Today, we're going to discuss what a healthy diet looks like and how you can balance a healthy diet with all that life throws at you, the good and the bad. We're also going to review some specific diets you may have heard of and what we know about their impact on Parkinson's. We will talk about some adjustments for Parkinson's-specific medications and symptoms. And finally, we'll touch on the use of vitamins and supplements, which we hear a lot of questions about. Now, let's meet our panelists. With me today is Sharon DeSatnik, a retired physical therapist who was diagnosed with PD eight years ago. She has worked with a dietitian in the past year and will share her experience with diet and Parkinson's disease. And coincidentally, since Sharon and I are both reside in Cleveland, we'd like to give a shout out today to all of our friends at InMotion who have tuned in with us today. Sharon, thanks for being here. Thank you, absolutely. And Dr. Dr. Pooja Agarwal is a postdoctoral research fellow at Rush University Medical Center. She's conducting a research study comparing specific diets for Parkinson's, which we'll hear more about today. Glad you're with us, Dr. Agarwal. I'm glad too, thanks. And Christine Ferguson is a dietitian and a doctoral student in human nutrition at the University of Alabama. Her work is focused on treating brain disease through nutrition interventions. Welcome, Christine. Thank you for having me. Great. Let's get started. Christine, I'm going to turn to you first. Let's begin this discussion with a review of the basic components of what makes up a healthy diet. And where do you think most of us fall short? Absolutely. So I think we all can try to follow healthy diet patterns, um, and really I feel like it's not emphasized enough of eating the rainbow, eating our fruits and vegetables. Um, it's something that we all kind of know that we need to do, and um, but still it's something that we can all do a little better. So um, fruits and vegetables, trying to get the majority of our foods from plants is one of the key components of a healthy diet, um, including whole grains. Um, so whole grains, when we're looking at Um, whole wheat, um, whole wheat breads, we want that first ingredient uh, to be some some type of whole grain um, rather than um, breads that are made with whole wheat when really it's enriched. Um, So whole grains are going to be, they have a lot more fiber in it. Fiber is good, especially it's very pertinent to Parkinson's disease and managing um, any GI issues. Um, But anytime we say we want to increase our fiber, we also want to make sure we're increasing our fluid intake as well. Um, Our lean proteins, um, so some examples of lean proteins like our poultry, like chicken and turkey, our fish, um, plant sources of protein like beans and legumes, Um, are definitely components of a healthy diet, and fish as well. Um, So those would be more lean proteins. So some of our red meats, um, they can fit in a healthy diet, but we want to consume a little bit less of them. They tend to be um, a little less heart healthy um, and also healthy fats. So um, our healthy fats are going to come from oils, nuts, seeds, um, fatty fish, 
the fats in fish are actually good for us. Um, so those are definitely components of um, a healthy diet. And then next is limiting processed food. So an easy trick is when you're at the grocery store to shop the perimeter of the grocery store. So we have, you typically have your uh, your produce, some of your meats, your dairy. Um, so usually those center aisles tend to be a little more processed. Um, so they just tend to have some additives, but getting comfortable looking at a nutrition facts label, looking at ingredient lists is a good first step. And then last, um, we have these antioxidants. So I like the description here, some good for you molecules that protect the cells. Um, they are rich in fruits and vegetables especially, but they're also found in grains, nuts, dark chocolate, um, some beverages such as red wine, coffee, and tea. Um, so we know, you know, with Parkinson's and the disease process, there tends to be some chronic underlying inflammation and oxidative stress, and so antioxidants is a way that we can combat that through our lifestyle and through our diet. Um, so trying to consume more of these um, is definitely something we should all strive for. Thank you. Um, people come in all shapes and sizes, obviously, so where can people find reliable information on how much of these components they should get to meet their individual nutritional needs? So, and that's, um, that is kind of a challenge because whenever you look things up, online, and even in today's webinar, we're going to talk more general. So we all are different, um, and we want to get individualized needs. So as far the Michael J. Fox Foundation, they have an excellent um, Parkinson's disease diet guide, which goes even more in depth on some of these topics. So that's a great resource uh, for everyone. Um, to refer to, but if you want that true individualized recommendation, uh, find a registered dietitian in your area. We are specially trained um, on meeting your needs while also um, making sure we're prioritizing your priorities. Uh, so finding that diet guide um, on the Michael J. Fox uh, website, and then also trying to get that individual counseling from a registered dietitian. And in, in, in regards to the, um, the resource guide, which is um, really an excellent resource guide, as you mentioned, it's the practical guide uh, for Parkinson's disease and diet. It was written by the Fox Foundation's own Dr. Rachel Dolan and actually reviewed by you. Um, and it is uh, listed on the resource yes. list on your screen, so you can download it from there. And I've looked that through, and it's interesting, as you mentioned, there's a lot of good, great shopping lists. There's one that actually lists antioxidant-containing foods, making it easy for us to try to find the things that we might not usually have in our diet. So, Sharon, you consulted a nutritionist this yes. year. Can you tell us what that entailed and what were some of the things that you learned that you needed to do? Sure. Well, I looked to a nutritionist because I wanted to decrease my Parkinson's symptoms and to decrease my incredible sugar addiction to help feel better and hopefully lose some weight. And I started with um, a group online program from a nutritionist, dietitian, and a physical therapist, followed by um, I did about six weeks with the registered dietitian. I felt better after about a month of the, the program. Um, I used a system tracker guide to see what, call attention to what symptoms were better. And um, it had the, the, the um, guidance of the dietitian for it. Great. And um, we'll, get, we'll get back to that in, in a minute. 
Um, before we leave this slide, um, Pooja, can I, I'm, I'm thinking that the benefits of antioxidants may be some new information for some of our listeners. And um, Christine reviewed them a little bit, but is there any PD-specific research that tells us what, you know, potentially how they are, whether they are making a difference in Parkinson's patients um, themselves? Uh, yes, sure. So there are some trials which have been done uh, with vitamin E and vitamin C. The vitamin E trial, vitamin E and vitamin C are type of antioxidants. So there are various uh, types in vitamin A, including carotenoids and other uh, beta carotene and stuff, which are considered as antioxidants for our diet. And so is vitamin E and vitamin C and other flavonoids, which uh, Christine mentioned are like polyphenols and stuff, uh, which are rich in all the fruits and vegetables. So there have been specific uh, studies on uh, vitamin E and C specifically, uh, but the vitamin E study has found some associations that there uh, are still, we're still on this path and there's some new study which I am part of, uh, and actually it's in, um, in the review. The, the article is, in, is under review, but we found that people who were eating more antioxidants, including beta-carotenes or vitamin C, which are rich in oranges and all the citrus fruits, and uh, all these vitamin E, which is rich, as, again, rich in, again, fish and uh, other food sources, uh, are people who were eating at, had lower... Parkinson's symptoms over time. So we have followed these people over like almost 12 years and looked at their Parkinson's symptoms and people who were eating foods that were rich in antioxidants had fewer, like less symptoms overall. Is there a sense that it's slowing down the progression of Parkinson's in any way? or So it slows down the progression of Parkinson's because it improves your, like what beaded was just use the UPDRS score. So it improved their UBDRS score uh, over time. So, like, basically the decline was not that rapid. It was a slower wow. decline of symptoms. Well, that, that takes us to the next slide, and that is looking at more specific diet plans. And, Pooja, while such programs are not for everybody, can you talk a little bit about these specific diets and what they might offer to a person with Parkinson's disease? Uh, so, yeah, definitely. So right now on the slide, you can see main three diets, the Mediterranean mind and ketogenic diet. The Mediterranean diet uh, is basically including more fruits and vegetables uh, and more of whole grains. Again, uh, it includes um, more uh, fish consumption as well as more legumes and olive oil consumption. So, and limiting other of uh, processed foods and basically also limiting the red meat is part of the Mediterranean diet uh, and moderately consuming dairy, eggs, and poultry, including chicken and turkey. And studies have found that people who eat more of Mediterranean diet have less risk of developing Parkinson's disease. And uh, this, that's definitely something, as Christine mentioned, you can incorporate in the daily life. Uh, like includes more vegetables, more fruits, nuts, olive oils, and add these components to your daily uh, plate. Then uh, coming on to mind diet. Mind diet is actually the diet which has been uh, recently, like for past decade, has been identified to be very good for brain health. So it includes all the food components which are important for brain health, uh, such as 
all the colored vegetables and specifically green leafy vegetables and including berries in your diet with nuts and olive oils and whole grains and fish um, and also including beans and poultry, red wine and also again avoiding the high fat foods uh, and as Christine mentioned just include the healthy fats which were, which will come from nuts and olive oils and exclude mm-hmm. the high-fat red meat, and try to avoid uh, like whole-fat cheese or whole-fat dairy and other fried food and sweets. So again, the study uh, which was done by our group, we found that both MIND and Mediterranean diet um, improves the Parkinson's symptoms over time in older adults. And again, we followed them for almost 12 years. We were looking. Uh, this is based on a uh, just a population-based study. So we have older adults enrolled in the study, and we follow them over time for 12 years. And those who are consuming high uh, amount of MIND diet or high Mediterranean diet, like the components of these diets, those who are consuming in higher proportion when compared to those who were consuming low, had uh, better outcomes for Parkinson's disease. No, it's okay. uh, so the third diet on the slide is ketogenic diet. Uh, this is quite getting quite popular diet uh, for the weight loss and other uh, uh, like appetite control uh, controlling diet, uh, which is high in protein and healthy fats, but it is low in carbohydrates. So personally, as a nutritionist and as a researcher, I believe that the studies done in ketogenic diet is, are still limited and have to be very cautious when interpreting the results of these uh, like few trials, uh, like one or two trials, that to which have a small number of people involved and followed up for a longer time because we, don't, we still don't know if this kind of ketogenic diet can uh, like reduce the appetite. And because people with Parkinson's disease or any neurodegenerative diseases are at risk of malnutrition or can lose their appetite, uh, which can be accompanied by the gastrointestinal system or like some other side effects. They have, we have to be very cautious on such diet unless more research has been done uh, and have shown the pro- like in future if it shows a productive effect. Definitely, uh, that can be the thing also. But right now, I'll be very cautious for ketogenic diet. But definitely, the other two dietary patterns, the Mediterranean and the Mind diet. Uh, I would say are quite well uh, studied in various populations. So my question is, is in terms of the Mediterranean diet and the MIND diet, did the studies show both a decrease in developing Parkinson's disease as well as for those who already had Parkinson's disease or developed it that it was slower progression, or they didn't look at they didn't look at both of those things? So the studies look at Mediterranean diet and Parkinson's disease risk, and they found people with the Mediterranean diet have low risk. That's definitely done in American population too, and uh, the mind diet studies have found that people uh, who have Parkinson's symptoms. So there's a difference between like having the actual Parkinson's disease diagnosis versus symptoms. So we followed p- people with Parkinson's symptoms, like having bradykinesia, gait, or any kind of tremors or rigidity, and then followed them over time. So there were improvement in their symptoms over time for those who were. Great. The mind diet. Okay. Um, that's good information. Oh, okay. Christine, we're having some we're having some questions about fava beans. 
and whether these are something that people should, you know, take and how, and how much should they take? Yes, um, I've gotten a lot of questions about fava beans. So the reason why, for those who may not be aware of, um, fava beans are a natural source of levodopa. So I can see why so many people may feel inclined to start consuming fava beans on a regular basis. I've actually seen fava beans a little bit more in grocery stores. Um, and so there's my one reservation with fava beans, and so I always have a disclaimer, um, is it's a natural source of levodopa. If you are already taking a prescribed medication with levodopa in it, um, then there may be some interaction there, and it may get in the way of your physicians and your pharmacists finding an optimal dose for you. So there may be some interactions there. So I would be cautious with it. Of course, if it's a very small amount, that may not, you may not even see any difference, but more is not necessarily better. So I would be cautious if you're not on levodopa medications, if you're not taking any pharmacologic medications right now, or if it's untreated, that may not hurt anything. So I would be cautious. They are, it's extremely rich in fiber, um, but as far as the levodopa content and the composition, um, that will vary um, pretty significantly. So we don't know how much is in a serving necessarily. We don't know how much is safe and how much will interact. Um, so there hasn't, I haven't seen um, any studies that I'm aware of um, on this particular food. So there may be some food medication interaction there. So I would proceed cautiously. Great. Now, while we're still on this um, specific diet plan slide, we've had a couple of people um, ring in about questions about um, other kind of diets, um, which would be um, stuff like a gluten-free diet and intermittent fasting. Christine, do you have any recommendations regarding either of those? Sure. So gluten-free diets, really gluten-free diets are meant for people with celiac disease. And so um, it's becoming somewhat known that there may be some gluten intolerance issues, but that there's no real definition of that. Um, so, and to back up a little bit, so gluten um, is a protein that's found in um, wheat, bran, and barley. So people are going to go gluten-free. They tend to feel a little better, not because they're cutting out gluten. It's because they're cutting out some of the processed food. Um, and so they tend to eat a little more healthy. They eat more fruits and vegetables. And so they, they feel a benefit because of that, but it's not necessarily the gluten. And I personally love bread, and I will never go gluten-free, uh, but <laughs> bread is a rich source of gluten. Um, so some people feel the need to cut out bread in their diet. I try to make all foods fit. Uh, but at this point, with the research, there's nothing suggesting that a gluten-free diet would be beneficial to Parkinson's disease. It, and again, if someone is feeling some improvement, it may not be because of the gluten. It may be because of more of the healthy choice, healthy choices that they're making with more lean proteins, the fruits and the vegetables, which we have definitely um, emphasized with these other dietary patterns. Um, and so, um, what was the other dietary pattern you? We're the um, intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. Okay, so 
Yes, thank you. So intermittent fasting, um, just as a brief description, is uh, it makes sense. So there's there's going to be some fasting during the day. So people tend to eat in smaller windows of time. So that time may vary. Some people may eat from 12 to 5, um, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. or 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So they're eating in a small window of time. Um, so there's been you know, several research studies looking at this in weight loss. It's kind of difficult to sustain. Um, so I'm not sure how that may impact those with Parkinson's disease, but I have one notion to believe that we know there's an interaction between protein um, and some of the Parkinson's medication, which we, we're going to talk about a little later on. So people who may have tried intermittent fasting may find a benefit. They may feel a little better. They may feel like their symptoms are being better controlled because they're not having that interaction with the protein. Um, so there's always you know, no diet is perfect. Um, so with intermittent fasting, it's all about timing. It has nothing to do with diet quality. Uh, so there's definitely a healthy way to follow it and there's not necessarily um, a healthy way to follow it. So especially with intermittent fasting, if anyone has any trouble with like blood sugar or diabetes, there, there are several disease, other diseases or um, conditions that intermittent fasting would definitely not be appropriate for because we don't need anybody passing out because they're starving themselves. I, I always appreciate intuitive eating, listening to hunger cues. So that's kind of one of my reservations with intermittent fasting. But if you do choose to follow any of these dietary, dietary patterns, please talk with your physician, see if you can find a registered dietitian in your area. So that's always my, my go-to statement there. So, Sharon, somebody's looking for advice on mm -hmm. how you kicked your sweet tooth. How I can, I have a huge sweet tooth. Um, when I started the program, I learned how to get rid of some brain um, inflammation foods, which is sugar is one of them, and uh, substitute some brain boosting foods, and it really helped the sweet tooth. I substituted processed um, foods, uh, which has sugar in it, and my thing is ice cream and candy and that kind of stuff. For a lot of fruit, um, in past diets, I limited fruit because of the sugar and um, natural fruit I found is better for you. Um, when I was on the program and following everything and getting in all my water and avoiding the sugar, my sweet tooth really calmed down um, just for the natural sugar. And so your brain boosting um, foods were things like fruits? Bane brews and foods are things like organic foods, probiotics and prebiotics, um, acid, uh, apple cider vinegar, which I take for a tablespoon in water before meal, which helps balance your blood sugar, and it helps um, treat the gut, the gut lining of your stomach because the gut and the um, brain are connected with Parkinson's is the, the thought, and it certainly uh, made a difference for me when I started eating better I started feeling better. Um, great, that's good to know. So we, we're having a lot of questions that are coming in regarding specific things like alcohol. Um, is they want to know whether that's okay to you drink alcohol and how much is 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 an acceptable amount. Um, I think that the question is 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 there is there some benefits from alcohol and and what would that be? What would those be and how how would how much would you need to take to get that benefit? Uh, Christine, you want to ch uh, take that one on? Sure. 
Sure. Um, so there has been some observational studies that um, look at uh, wine, specifically red wine, um, and uh, incident or you know, development of Parkinson's disease as well as progression. So, and this goes back to talking about antioxidant-rich foods. In that list that we were looking at, red wine was actually um, listed there because it is a potent source of polyphenols, um, and resveratrol is one of the um, antioxidants that's in red wine. So that specific antioxidant is more rich in the red wine versus the white wine. Um, so the red wine would be preferable. Um, so in order to, and this, and this goes in line with the Mediterranean diet that Pooja described, um, that five ounce glass per day is the recommendation. So, um, and as far as going back to just normal dietary guidelines, um, you really only need one glass per day. Um, men are technically allowed to have two per day. Um, but as far as to get the benefit, um, one five-ounce glass of red wine per day um, would be optimal. Um, there have been studies that also looked at beer and um, other liquors, and there really hasn't been anything significantly shown there. Um, so red, red wine would be the best. If you're going to consume alcohol, that would be the best choice. Okay, I think that answers most of people's questions. Let's move on here. So let's be honest, making changes in one's diet is never easy, and old habits die hard. So most of us are motivated, I think at the very least, by the simple notion that we know we can do better, reducing the bad food while increasing the good. Um, but in spite of our good intentions, life does get in the way sometimes. Sharon, why don't you share your story of, of how you got derailed because of a life situation? Yeah, I was working really hard on changing my diet and getting the brain-boosting foods in the water, and unfortunately, I and I was working really, really hard on exercise, and unfortunately, I suffered an avulsion fracture of my pelvis in November, and that ended all the exercise because for the first two weeks, I couldn't even walk. I was in a wheelchair, and I'm now on a walker, which I was on nothing. Um, so it took away my exercise. Um, it also... Um, took away my ability to make meals. My husband does not cook. And um, so we were just eating a lot of things like soy burgers and things that I can, which are processed foods and soy is not considered good for the brain um, or the gut. Um, and so I slowly started getting off the diet and I couldn't put together salads. I couldn't even shop. I was using curbside service. So I was very derailed. I was very depressed because I was isolated. Um, and my sugar addiction returned with a vengeance. Um, wow. So uh, that's what so, I was doing for the last eight weeks. So what, if anything, has gotten you back on track, and what do you think will motivate you to stay on track with your program? Well, well talking in front of all these people today was a big motivation for me to start back on my program. Um, a little oh. peer pressure there. And, and the desire to be healthy. I felt better when I was on the program, and um, I need to be healthy. And I'm slowly allowed to do a little bit of exercise now. I'm allowed to walk in the water. I can't do anything much else than that. So I figure if I'm starting my exercise, I can start my eating better, too. Great. So I know that when you are healthy, exercise has helped you manage your PD. Do you think that your motivation to stay with a healthy diet is linked to your regimen of exercise? Yes. Um, exercise is social. It has accountability effects because you exercise with people or if you, I exercise by myself also. Um, my husband always asks what I've done that day. Um, it, it definitely, um, my handwriting, my tremors are better after I exercise. Um, I even have a 
outside recumbent bike, which I can ride like 25 miles on. Um, and so I'm getting out there more. I'm seeing things I've never seen before from a bike's point of view versus a car or walking point of view. And it just helps my PD um, symptoms immensely. I'm looking forward to getting back to all of that. And do you, exercising, do you think that helps keep you motivated to stick with your healthy diet? Yes, yes. I think they go hand in hand. Great. So, um, Christine, one of our listeners has asked, where do I even begin my quest for best eating practices with Parkinson's? What, what can you recommend when a client comes into you and their diet's just a mess and they, they want to make some changes? Where do they start? Yeah, that's a great question because I know all of this can seem very overwhelming, especially if your diet, your day-to-day life is is a little, you know, is pretty different than this. Um, so on the slide, that second bullet point, make small changes one at a time. Um, I feel like that is the key to making sustainable changes in my experience with patients. And that is really, if you change everything overnight, talking about those shirt, you know, those sweets and those cravings that you have, they're going to come back with a vengeance. So if you can just make some small changes at a time, I like Sharon's recommendation of having a symptom tracker because that way if you if there are improvements, you may they may be so subtle you don't notice them. It may take about a month to kick in um, or to really notice something. So you need to stick with it. Um, so when I have a patient um, come with me and we're start where I usually I ask them what they typically eat in a day and I ask them, you know, what's one thing that sounds manageable? So is it that you drink a lot of sugar-sweetened beverages like sodas? Can we, if you drink three a day, can we move to two a day? Um, Really, any changes in the positive direction is going to be better than making no changes at all. Um, If you, you know, adding one fruit to a meal, if you typically don't eat fruit, um, and pretty much my... My recommendations with that is no matter what age we are, be open to trying new things. Um, So something that you, like if you hated tomatoes 20 years ago, um, try them again. Give them another chance. Um, Try to prepare them in a different way. Um, That may be a way to add, um, I was talking with a patient this morning actually about trying to make vegetables work for breakfast. It's hard to make, it's hard to add vegetables to your breakfast. So I was um, talking with them about making a Southwest scramble with, um, you know, an egg and an egg white with some um, bell peppers and spinach and some turkey sausage. And, you know, that's a way to kind of vamp up a breakfast while adding some vegetables. So try to sneak them in, but um, make one change at a time. Do it for a week. And once you've kind of checked that box and you feel comfortable, move on to the next one. So have, setting some goals for yourself and what changes you would like to make and what works for your lifestyle um, I feel like is a great first start. And do you think there's any difference between fresh, frozen, and organic fruits and vegetables? That's that's a great question. That was one that I meant to um, mention as well. Um, so when we talk about fresh versus frozen, so when we look at frozen um, fruits and vegetables, if it's just if you look at the ingredient list and it's just strawberries or if it's just broccoli, there's no sauces or syrups or anything else added to them, um, they actually retain their antioxidant content even better than some of the fresh produce. So frozen, don't count out frozen um, produce because they're flash frozen flash frozen at the time of being um, harvested. And so um, those antioxidants are frozen as well. 
Um, so sometimes with the fresh produce, they're great um, sources of, you know, all the antioxidants and nutrients as well, but they tend to degrade over time, so through the transport and processing. So one great way, and, you know, going back to that social aspect, see if you have a local farmer's market. Support your local community, and also um, that's a great way of accessing some uh, fresh produce. Um, and then deciding to make the um, decision to do organic produce versus not organic produce, um, it, I individualize this with my patients. So there has been some studies that have shown an association. Um, when we, if, if something's associated with Parkinson's disease onset and progression, it doesn't necessarily mean it causes anything. Um, so associations, there might be something there um, with pesticides um, in Parkinson's. So a lot of the studies have shown that it's people with routinely high exposures of pesticides. Um, we don't necessarily know if just, you know, consuming a regular apple will do anything. Um, but if you can afford organic produce, that's something that you can try, especially if you feel like you're incorporating these healthy tips already. Um, and if you can afford it, um, there is the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. Um, so the Dirty Dozen, um, these ones where these are ones where the um, the skins are pretty thin, and so they're really they're more permeable. Um, so they tend to hold on to the pesticides a little more. Um, so these are going to be like your berries, your apples, spinach. There are plenty of lists online, um, but for the sake of time, I'll just let you can reference the Dirty Dozen. Um, and then the Clean 15, they're okay to buy um, non-organic, so they tend to have thicker skins that you typically peel. Um, so if you're kind of caught in the middle of, I would like organic, but it's a little, it's not cost effective for me, um, that may be something you would try. But I will say, um, like blueberries, for example, in my area, they're about $3 for a small container and the organic version is nearly double the price. Um, so that's just something that, but and I, what I always tell people is eating fruits and vegetables is going to be better than not eating fruits or vegetables, regardless if it's organic or not. Um, so that's, that's one of my big takeaways um, for all of this. That's important. That's important to know. It's, you, know you, you, you have to deal with the, the situations that you live in, and some people don't have access to this kind of produce. Or, as you mentioned, it's, it can be quite, you know, cost prohibitive for some for some folks. Um, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, well, I think that we can safely say that there's no one diet for Parkinson's disease. It is important to know that what we eat may adversely affect how well our medications work. Um, Pooja, can you address this issue of the levodopa and protein issue and how we manage the, um, the competition that happens between the two? Um, sure, definitely. Uh, so, again, with the medication, and I think Christine uh, knows it better, uh, like how to, uh, or maybe she was advising her patients, like how and when to incorporate protein. But, again, uh, as studies have shown, like uh, including protein at particular time, of the, your medication has really improved their, some of the symptoms uh, really well in patients with Parkinson's. And uh, the timings, it's, uh, uh, Christine, can you jump in and uh, add on to the timing? Yeah. Or specific? Yes, absolutely. Um, so kind of, and this is more visually, this makes sense to me. Um, 
So the whole interaction with protein and levodopa. So say you're going to consume your medication. Cinemet is one of the most common um, medications um, that has the levodopa, carbidopa in it. And say you take that medication with um, a high source of protein, like, um, you know, a piece of chicken. So your medication and that rich source of protein is going to, re going to reach um, your small intestines um, at about the same time. And so that's, a, that's the area in the GI tract where there's a lot of absorption going on. But um, there's kind of, there's the competition with um, the transporter there um, in the small intestine. And it's just imagine that levodopa, we want it to be as absorbed as efficiently as possible. And so levodopa is knocking on the door saying, let me in and, you know, absorb me. Um, but really the protein is going to be let in first. Um, so our small intestine is going to prefer the protein before the levodopa. And so if there's too much protein there, it's not even going to absorb levodopa hardly at all, and it's going to be excreted and not used. Um, so timing is especially important. Um, if you can take your medication that has levodopa in it about 30 minutes prior to your meal, if you can do that without getting nauseous, that's one thing you can do. Um, some people react differently. Um, or you can take it two hours after your meal. If you have to um, take your medicine with some kind of food or else you feel that nausea coming on, um, try to take it with a piece of fruit or a piece of bread or something that's more lower in protein. Um, if you feel that, um, your medication's not effective, you keep, you're speaking with your physician and you, know, you keep increasing the dosage of it and um, you feel like it's not being very effective, then one thing you can consider is a protein redistribution diet. And um, so this is specifically for Parkinson's disease and this food medication interaction. And um, I would highly advise doing it under the supervision of a dietitian because it is very strict. And so all, what that entails is consuming the majority of your protein at the end of the day because normally people want their medication to be most effective during the day. And so during the day, you would just consume more carbohydrates and fats with low protein. Um, so really, um, uh, uh, people who have kidney problems, um, they typically their advice to follow a low protein diet. So some of the same recipes and meal plans transfer over there, but you still need your protein. Do not cut out protein because it's essential for muscle mass, lean mass, um, and functionality. So um, at the end of the day, you would just consume a very high protein meal. You can do it through food. We promote a food first approach, um, but, um, and uh, but anyways, so, Yes, sorry. Um, is, but anyways, is there a first approach. Between, is there any difference between whether it's plant or animal derived protein? Yeah, so um, that was a question that was submitted in advance, and that's a really good question. Um, so, uh, not to get too sciencey or technical, but it's really it's the proteins, these um, the amino acids that have a similar structure to levodopa that's going to be interacting it, and they're they're found in both protein and animal, uh, both animal and plant sources of protein. However, um, plants tend to have less protein 
Um, there's still there's some better sources of protein in plants like the beans and legumes, but compared to meat, they have a lot less. Um, so you may find that um, trying to consume more of the plant proteins, they're a little less in protein compared to the meats and animal proteins. So you may tolerate that better. The ad additional benefit to the plant proteins is that you get a ton of vitamins and minerals, antioxidants, and fiber. So we know that um, constipation is um, definitely a, an issue in Parkinson's disease. It's even been shown to um, be present years before a diagnosis. Um, so fiber is our friend, but we also have to uh, subsequently um, increase our fluid intake as well, or that's going to make a bad problem even worse. So I wanted to just clear, make clear for our audience that we've talked about carbidopa levodopa, but there's other formulations of, of levodopa. Are the other ones impacted and in, in need of protein redistribution diets as well, such as duodopa, du, I mean duopa, imbresia, parcopa, riteri, and cinnamet, CR, yes. salivo, are those products also? Yes. So um, you wouldn't necessarily... In, uh, the protein re redistribution diet is kind of my last resort because it is pretty restrictive, um, but it's going to interact with levodopa in all of those forms of medication. Cinnamon is just the most common, but it definitely applies um, to the other one as well. So I would monitor, like um, just like Sharon does the symptom tracker, um, track your diet um, over a couple days. Have a symptom tracker and then also a food tracker and see if you start noticing any patterns there. Um, because you know yourself better than any of us. Um, so that could be a way to pinpoint if um, there's something going on in your diet that's not um, doing well for you. Um, there's several questions that are hitting our chat box here that have to do with, um, that are in response to a comment that Sharon made about soy being bad. Is there a reason that they're all um, asking, is there a reason for that uh, statement? Yeah, there were six food groups that we they listed to uh, that were not as good for you. And the idea was to take three food groups and you do a little bit at a time and eliminate them. And one of the food groups is soy. Um, I don't know why it's not as good for you, but there was um, sugar, there was um, corn, there was grains with gluten in it, there was um, dairy, and there was um, soy and... Um, I can't remember what the sixth one was, but um, I had I had a very soy-based diet before I started this program, and it was really hard for me to get rid of it because I like soy and it's easy. And um, I went back to it when I wasn't cooking. Um, but they they said no soy, um, soy like even soy sauce, no, none of the soy products were good for the brain and the gut. I so in my education and training. Um, We've looked at soy as a positive thing. Soy has kind of gone back and forth, whether is it good, is it not good. I'm not familiar with um, soy um, specifically in Parkinson's disease with the gut-brain axis. Um, so um, that I'm not quite sure of. Um, so they have, soy has a lot of um, plant sterols and stanols, which are good for heart health and removing um, removing uh, cholesterol. So I wonder if in those um, six groups that um, you both cut out, since corn was on there as well, I wonder if there was, um, if your dietitian had a concern with GMOs, um, because corn and soy typically tend to be higher 
there tend to be the, the crops that are GMOs the most. Um, but really, um, for me, soy, I don't, um, I don't advise my patients one way or another about soy um, unless okay. there's some evidence of concern. Um, so I'm pretty neutral about soy. I agree with Christine. Christine, how do you feel about dairy? Um, so dairy, yes, and that, and thank you, you remind me of all the things I wanted to say on one of the first slides. Um, so there has been more of, um, more research being done with dairy and Parkinson's disease specifically. Um, so there is a, another webinar that really is great and details the gut-brain axis and the gut microbiome. So I'm not going to re-talk about everything that they discussed. Um, so there has been some associations with um, dairy and Parkinson's disease, not only in the onset of it, but also the progression. And so the, um, there's some, but now they're trying to figure out why. So what is it about dairy? And it may be that it's increasing this bacteria in our gut known as bifidobacterium, um, which has been shown to not be very helpful in Parkinson's disease. So um, that may be a way, one of the reasons why it increases some inflammation. It's been associated with um, more disease severity. So if you feel compelled and this is what I leave it to my patients because I, per, as a dietitian, I don't like cutting out entire food groups. Um, that's just something that may I get very cautious with. Um, however, if I have someone who wants to cut um, dairy out of their diet, dairy is a great source of calcium um, and vitamin D. And we already know that those with Parkinson's disease already are at an increased risk of osteoporosis. Um, so we want to maintain that bone health. So if you want to reduce your dairy intake, um, that is fine, but you need to make sure that you're getting enough calcium um, otherwise. So if you can try to do it, um, like for example, spinach is a rich source of calcium. Vitamin D, you can go outside. Um, for anyone who's over like about 65 years old, um, you have decreased um, vitamin, T, vitamin D metabolism um, from being in the sun. So you need to be in the sun a little longer. Make sure to wear your SPF, SPF of course. Um, so try to get that from there. Talk with your physician. Um, you may need, you may be qualified to um, maybe take a supplement, um, but we're going to talk about supplements on one of the other slides as well. Great. So despite the fact that we have to adjust our medications with our, because of our diets, the good news is that you know, our diets can play a significant role in helping us to manage some of the more troublesome non-motor symptoms such as constipation, low blood pressure. And as you mentioned, constipation is one of those non-motor symptoms that can precede the motor symptoms by 20 years or more. Sharon, I'm curious whether your nutritionist addressed this issue with you, and, and if so, what has worked for you? Oh, yes, this was a big thing for me. Um, I didn't know I was constipated beyond normal when I first st started, before I started eating better. Um, I had thought I had to deal with it because of the Parkin it's a Parkinson's symptom, and so many people with Parkinson's have it, and that's just it. But after a month in the program, um, which is when I finally started to feel better, my two to three times a week elimination became two to three times a day, and it was pain-free then. Um, I felt much better and not... Um, so bloated. Um, I didn't realize the severity of the constipation I had until it was success successfully treated. What do you think? It was um, I think it was the. With? I think um, the apple cider vinegar helped a lot. Um, increasing water to um, ounces of half your body weight. Um, they did, and I don't know if this. 
affects people with high blood pressure because I don't have high blood pressure, but they did say to put in a quarter of a teaspoon of Celtic sea salt into a liter of water, and it helps the absorption of the water, and I don't have high blood pressure, so it didn't bother me. Um, I did do that. Um, and just um, using the probiotics and prebiotics, I think, helped my gut so that my digestion was better. I started using um, kimchi and um, kum. Kubachi, which is a, 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 a tea that um, is helps with um, digestion, and just eating eating the rainbow, and I think it all helped me. Christine, what are some of the other steps that you recommend that a person with Parkinson's can take to combat this really overwhelming problem in a lot of people? I think Sharon explained it very well, um, so especially getting her perspective on that. So fluids and fiber, um, so there are different types of fiber as far as insoluble and soluble fiber, so um, trying to get it from both sources. Um, so not only are you going to get that from fruits and vegetables, but like oatmeal in the morning. Um, I have people um, who just adding, just consuming um, oatmeal in the morning, it increases um, bulk and it helps things move, um, move a little better. And so, um, but you have to increase your fluids as well. Um, so with the probiotics and prebiotics, as far as supplementation goes, um, there's not a firm recommendation on the composition and the amount of the probiotics and prebiotics um, that would be helpful for anybody, um, especially those with Parkinson's. But if you can be like Sharon and get it from food sources, so the kombucha, the fermented tea, um, that's one of my favorites uh, personally. And then um, kefir yogurt, um, uh, kimchi, which is the fermented um Fermented vegetables, they have um, some uh, prebiotics, which are good for feeding the healthy gut bacteria. You're going to find that in a lot of, like, onions and garlic, um, things like that. So I would try to get it. Of course, again, we do the food-first approach. Try to get it from food sources. Um, before just automatically a dietary supplement. It's not going to act the same way. Um, so that, that would be my recommendation. And so in physical activity, um, that really helps with um, getting things regular, helping with constipation. Um, so getting up and moving, gra let gravity do its work, um, that will also, that will really, really help. This is great. This is great information, great advice. Um, I have one more question before I want to move on to our last slide, which is going to talk about um, supplements and vitamins. There's been several people asking about how to fight the weight loss that Parkinson's patients sometimes have. Yes, and that is, um, there's a review article that I have that's in review that's about um, the risk of malnutrition in Parkinson's disease. So just because you're losing weight doesn't mean you're malnourished, but that is definitely a concern. Um, and there's not enough research out there to look at foolproof methods, um, but just in my clinical experience, um, paying attention to what you're eating. Um, so, so keep like a little food log. And so looking at foods that, so this kind of, um, kind of supports why maybe ketogenic diet is not the optimal diet um, for Parkinson's disease because high fat foods are gonna make you feel full quicker. So if you're having an issue with weight loss, you need to consume 
more calories and more protein especially. Um, so the timing of the protein may vary, but um, if you're losing weight, you may also be losing that lean mass, and so that's going to affect your ability to get up and get moving. Um, so consuming foods that are dense in calories, consuming those first um, before, so some low-calorie foods um, would be like, you know, lettuce and celery and things like that. So um, and cooking in a way, um, cooking in a strategic way um, to add more calories. Um, so if you're cooking rice, for example, um, you can add um, broth or, you know, if you had, depending on what you're doing with the rice, you can add like milk to it. Um, if you're doing um, in your coffee, adding some, you know, if you want to do some protein powder or some, um, uh, like some coffee creamers, you're kind of, it's kind of the opposite of weight loss um, recommendation. So adding some margarine to um, your foods, um, just increasing the calories. Um, so you still need to be physically active, but that also increases your calorie demands. Um, so just trying to be strategic in consuming those energy-dense foods, those one, the ones that are um, dense in calories before the, the ones that don't have a lot of calories. And also I would like to add, uh, and Christine, uh, you can jump in if you disagree, but uh, adding uh, in between the meals, uh, like some kind of snacks, or sometimes it's like long gap uh, in between the meals. So adding some calorie snack in between like crackers with maybe low-fat cheese or hummus because then it adds on to your protein uh, and some bean salads or quinoa salads in between the meals uh, may also help to increase like overall intake of the healthy foods. Yes, I yeah, definitely concur with that. Okay, we're going to move on to our last slide here. And Pooja, I'm going to have you take this one on. We've had lots of questions submitted about vitamins and supplements, their efficacy and their safety. So please give our listeners an overview, if you can, on this topic. Okay, so again, this vitamin and supplements, uh, I would say there is, again, we don't, we lack in the literature uh, on the amount of studies that have been done looking specifically at the supplements. There are studies on COQ10. Uh, the combination of COQ10 and vitamin E, which have shown uh, improvement with Parkinson's progression. Uh, in the recent analysis, which we did, and uh, again, that's the study I mentioned before, the vitamins uh, like vitamin E, C, and carotenoids coming from food were much more helpful to improve the Parkinson's symptoms. Uh, but the park, uh, but overall vitamin supplements, I did not find anything uh, in our study improving the symptoms at all. So this again, it uh, is a very uh, specific top uh, specific area because if you are deficient in any vitamin or mineral, I mean definitely you need a supplement and you have to talk to your physician and uh, it'll show up in your blood work and then you definitely need a supplement to improve. Uh, on the levels, but then other than that, adding uh, any vitamin or specific supplements def may not be improving your Parkinson's symptoms as such if you're not deficient. And uh, as I would, uh, as Christine also mentioned, I would again reinforce and say try to get these vitamins and minerals from your food sources because, again, the food is a complex thing and the way we absorb and process uh, in, in our body is way different the way we absorb these supplements uh, because we are not 
when these supplements get in, the absorption is so very different than when we are eating the foods and uh, directly getting other minerals and vitamins along with that particular one we need. And the interaction of nutrients are also important. So, so any like any kind of vitamins or min- supplements, if recommended by a doctor, then you have to take it. But then again, it can interact with your medication. It can worsen your symptoms. So you really have to talk to your doctor before adding any pills in. That's good advice. Um, Christine, do you think that it's fair to say that at the end of the day, what works for one person may not work for another, and so that the best advice is to discuss the pros and cons of any new diet that you want to take on with your doctor or a registered dietitian? Absolutely, and I um, I really appreciate it. In, on the website um, where the slides are, there's also a resource list, and you can click on it, and it's a link to find a dietitian near you. Um, and so, and that's a great website to try to find a dietitian. So exactly, you know, when it comes to your own blood work, what you're eating, it's, we, you know, dietitians were trained to individualize it. Um, so at this point with the vitamins and supplements, there's, there's nothing to support a general recommendation for Parkinson's disease at this time. Um, so that's why, um, yeah, that's why we're pretty cautious with our statements and try to get it from food first. And um, that's definitely the best route to go. But Do you think that, that the dietitian needs to have some experience with Parkinson's disease or, or that's not necessarily the case? So obviously if they have experience, um, uh, with people with Parkinson's disease, of course, but a lot of it's symptom management as well. Um, so a lot of the symptoms that are specific to Parkinson's disease, um, like the non-motor symptoms, like especially the constipation and like trying to follow the Mediterranean diet and the MIND diet, dietitians are trained. So don't count them out yet. Give them a chance. Um, so um, the dietitians, um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me because um, there's not a lot of dietitians in our area, um, but um, they they have a lot of training, a lot of knowledge to pass on, and if they feel that um, they may not be the right dietitian for you, um, they may know they may point you in a direction to someone who is. Um, so I would definitely try to connect with one first. Great. Well, so that wraps up this session. I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and a big thanks to our panelists for sharing your expertise. This was really great information sharing. We'll be sending a link to the webinar on demand to listen again or to share as you'd like. We hope you found it helpful, so, and have a great day. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.